Hello, UCI Conversation listeners. I am here today at the NASA Ames Space Research Center in Silicon Valley, participating in the Solar System Showcase. One of the presenters was atmospheric scientist Josette Marrero, who is an anteater. Super excited to explore Josette's time at UCI and what she's been up to since then. Welcome, Josette. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm great. Well, it's such a surprise to see you here today. I want to hear all about how you came to UCI and what happened after you graduated. So why don't we just start off with, I understand you came from New Jersey? Yes, yeah. I grew up primarily on the East Coast between New York and New Jersey. I did my undergraduate degree in chemistry at the College of New Jersey, just outside of Trenton. And I came to UC Irvine in 2009 as a grad student, (laughs) fresh-faced, new to the West Coast. This is my first time out there and finished up there my degree in chemistry in 2015, in the spring of 2015. So spent almost six years at UCI in the chemistry department as a graduate student. And which lab were you in? I was in the Don Blake, Professor Don Blake was my PI, uh, my research advisor, and so I was part of the Roland Blake research group. Those are some big shoes to walk in. Anything in particular that you worked in while you were at UCI that you found particularly fascinating or applicable to what you are doing now? Yeah, I could tell you a little bit about why I was drawn to UCI and why I was interested in, in Don's group in particular. So Sherry Rowland, who passed away a few years ago, won the Nobel Prize back in 1995 for his work on discovering that CFCs or chlorofluorocarbons, which were in aerosol cans, were contributing to the depletion of the ozone layer, which is bad because the ozone up high in that part of the stra- atmosphere protects us from harmful UV radiation. So understanding uh, what was causing that hole in the ozone layer was a really big deal. So a lot of his work was really groundbreaking and yeah, led to him winning the Nobel Prize in 1995. So when I met Don or heard about Don's group, I thought, man, like this is a great way to carry on that legacy and to learn a little bit more of that work that he did. So a lot of the work that we do in Don's group is measuring VOCs, what are volatile organic compounds in the atmosphere. So we can take stainless steel canisters, we evacuate them down so that they're pretty empty. You can open it up outside at any kind of location, the pressure differential sucks in the air, and then you, you close it off and you have an air sample that is unique to that location in space at that moment in time. And so we can take those whole air samples, as they're called, bring them back to the lab, analyze them for about 100 different gases, and really get a really interesting picture of what's happening in the atmosphere. And whether that be on a global scale, you know, we can we take samples all across the Pacific Ocean every three months for 30 years, and now we have an idea of what's happening globally and over a long period of time. Or we can study more specific things, which is a lot of what I did, was understanding like what pollution, you know, what emissions, what VOCs are coming out of oil and natural gas sites. So the majority of my work was focused on emissions from oil and natural gas, whether that be the actual pump themselves where they're digging them out of the ground, or refineries where it's processed, or places where it's distributed and if it leaks out. So that's kind of the work that I did at, at UC Irvine. Excellent. So then you graduated. Did you know right away that you'd be coming to Ames or were there other things that you were looking at? Um, No, I I didn't know right away that I was going to be coming to Ames. I knew I had some interest in NASA, having done some work on other NASA projects as a graduate student. The NASA DC-8 aircraft goes out a couple times a year, different places in the world, and it's this like research vessel, this flying laboratory they call it, where you put about 25 different instruments on board 
and all these scientists are working on understanding different parts of the atmospheric chemistry puzzle. You know, how do we understand this atmosphere a little bit better? Whether that be, you know, like what we were doing, the gas phase VOCs, or people who study aerosols and their effect, or people who study just ozone. All these gases come together, and that was really interesting. So I knew I was interested in airborne science at NASA in general. It was kind of by chance that I happened to meet my PI here at Ames, Laura Arachi. We spoke over the phone, and I decided, you know what, Ames sounds like a really great place to be. The work there seems really interesting. And, and so I went for it, wrote a proposal as part of the application for the NASA postdoctoral program fellowship and I received it and I started my work here back in 2015. Super. How about just to backtrack a little bit your experience at UCI. You came from New Jersey. How was your experience at UCI? It was definitely different. I'll say that to start off right away. Moving to sunny California. In what way? (laughs) You know, moving to Orange County, California was never really a thing I envisioned that I was going to be doing. (laughs) I never, you know, some kids growing up were like, I want to go to California, especially after like TV shows like the OC and Laguna Beach came out. I kind of didn't have any interest in that. It was kind of just (laughs) per chance that a good friend of mine who I did, I was in the same research with as an undergrad. I was able to do research as an undergrad as well. We were just applying for grad schools and he told me about UCI, said that they had a really good chemistry program, and so I applied and visited and fell in love with it and moved out there. I would say, so I was at Irvine for about five and a half years, I really did like it a lot. Not only is it a great place to be, you know, you can't complain when you're a few miles from the beach, but also it's just a great program. The faculty, they work really hard. They're at the top of their field. There's really fascinating research being done there, and the grad students are all great people and a really eclectic group that comes from all over the country. And, and everybody's just really, it's a fun place, a pleasant day to go to work, every, you know, a place to go to work every day. People are just excited about the work and, and really friendly. So overall, I had a really great experience um, while I was at UC Irvine. Now that you are out of school, looking back, is there any advice that you would give to yourself or, you know, or others? now that they're who may be listening that are still in school any observations I think for me and I'm not sure if this is great advice to give people but you know people always talk about well you have to have a plan you have to have a plan and quite honestly I don't know that I had that plan (laughs) when I went into grad school I was like you know I'm just gonna try this grad school thing out if I don't like it then you know I'll go ahead and I'll duck out but I kind of my so while my undergraduate degree was still in chemistry the focus was on forensic chemistry so you know think CSI like that kind of level things that's kind of what I was really interested in came to UCI met folks learned about atmospheric chemistry as a thing and got really excited to learn more about environmental chemistry that was happening so kind of switched over to that did that for a while and moved out to a new location, you know, over in California and then came up to Ames. And I think being open and willing to try new things and kind of maybe step outside of your comfort zone and see where life takes you is also not a bad thing. I mean, I had some plan. <laughs> you know, grad school was the plan. Let me try to get a PhD. But after that, I really didn't plan too much and it seems to be working out right now, too. So I think some of that flexibility is, is a good thing to have. Were there any points along the way that were particularly challenging did you you know was there any like oh boy that that was the wall that I had to push through grad school is certainly not the easiest thing and anybody who's been through the experience can tell you that it it challenges you a lot some of the you know for me like I said it was kind of a new field I was learning about so I had to catch up really quick and I was like I kind of don't know what these things are so there are some times where there's definitely challenges in that 
you know, sometimes you have to work really independently and be able to make mistakes and learn from those and figure out how to go, go on from there. So I think that was a, another challenge for me was kind of being like, you know, this is on me. This is my project. I need to figure out how to make this work. And it's okay if you do it wrong. You're probably going to get it wrong several times. <laughs> but as long as you, you keep going, then that's good. So that's probably some of the more challenging aspects. I think, you know, when you get ready to advance candidacy and be actually become a PhD candidate, that's kind of a really stressful time. But luckily I had really good friends in my department who were going through the same thing and we kind of were able to help each other out and push through it and some of my other lab mates really helped a lot so now you're up here at Ames can you describe to us the work that you're doing Yes, so I came up as a postdoc and I joined the AlphaJet Atmospheric Experiment Project. So the AlphaJet is aircraft that is based here at Ames, and a couple times a month we're able to put some instrumentation on board to measure various trace gases throughout the atmosphere. So we measure greenhouse gases like carbon dioxide and methane, which have an impact on the climate because of their global warming potential. We measure gases like ozone, which I've mentioned a little bit about already, particularly at the surface, you know, how, how that affects air quality, but also how it's transported across the Pacific Ocean, you know, how ozone that can be generated in Asia can come across the Pacific and affect ozone levels here in California. And yeah, so we are able to put these instruments on board a couple times a month and really tailor our flights to whatever interesting science is happening think about California, there's lots of pollution sources all around, so we can study urban emissions, agricultural emissions, wildfire emissions. So we get to kind of really set the tone on what science we want to target for that flight. Josette, I think the general public has some confusion because there's good ozone and there's bad ozone. Can you distinguish for us? Yeah, the the good, the bad, and the ugly about ozone, huh? Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, when when ozone, I mentioned ozone before, and Sherry Rowland's work on that, and that's because ozone in the stratosphere is actually really beneficial. It is a good UV blocker, so it blocks out the most powerful um, UV rays from hitting the surface. And so, you know, we're able to walk around outside without really extreme sunburns or damaging our eyes or damaging plants or anything like that because of the ozone that blocks, um, that is blocked in, in the stratosphere. But down low, we can also generate a lot of ozone by emissions from various sources, pollution sources, combustion sources. So things like your tailpipes from your car or refineries emit compounds, both hydrocarbons or VOCs that I talked a little bit about before, as well as nitrous oxide precursors as well. When the two of those get together in the sunlight and in heat, they form a series of reactions that leads to ozone in the troposphere. And that ozone, or um, which is a constituent of photochemical smog, which I think a lot of people in California know a little bit about, that's when it starts to become a problem because it kind of has health impacts. It can be an irritant to your eyes, it can exacerbate asthma and uh, get into your lungs and, and make things pretty, pretty bad. So bad down low, good up high is the way we like to think about ozone. Gotcha. Can you explain to us, have you gone up actually in the jet that does the sample air testing? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, the the Alpha Jet is able to fly about one to three times a month, depending on pilot availability. And occasionally they want to put a scientist in the back seat. So that's pretty nice. So not only do we get to make sure that the instruments that go on board are functioning, we also sometimes get to do the flights after we've designed them. So I've been up on the Alpha Jet about three times and and it's definitely been an interesting experience each each time. (laughs) 
Can you tell us about that first time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so the, the first time, the first flight I did on the Alpha Jet, it was, it was about mid-September. It was a warm day. We were heading out to Sacramento, where I think the high temperature that day was about 95 degrees. And we were doing a flight where we were primarily focused on the boundary layer, the lowermost part of the atmosphere, from the surface up to the boundary layer, where it is pretty turbulent. You know, there's a reason why most commercial aircraft don't fly uh, 2,000 feet off the ground. <laughs> so when we were doing that, it was particularly bumpy. You just get a lot of of heat um, advection effects from the surface and it just makes the wind kind of you know the air generally pretty turbulent so was it like an amusement park ride or not anything like that well certainly takeoff in the alpha jet is definitely like an amusement park ride like a roller coaster your, your stomach definitely jumps you know a little bit but when you couple that with heat and turbulence about after an hour and a half i, I definitely <laughs> yeah empt- i would say i emptied my stomach <laughs> more than once <laughs> oh my <laughs> How about in terms of you're an expert at your level in your field, what is the state of the art? Is there research being done that you're particularly intrigued about? Yeah, I think just across the field in general, there's so much work being done that's really just fascinating. So like I said, you know, some of it's understanding how what we generate pollution-wise affects the air that we breathe, which affects our lives, you know, our health. There's so much work being out, done out there by other people in the field trying to understand the role of aerosols. You know, this is a big question in the field. You know, do, are they global? Do they have a warming potential or are they more of a cooling thing? And how do they affect the air that we breathe and the health, you know, the health impacts of that as well? So there's, there's still, you know, it's a relatively new field in that a lot of the work has been done, I don't know, maybe since like the 50s or 60s. But there's always questions coming up and, and so many people who want to answer them and some people doing some really great work. So I hope in the future that we continue to fund these types of research questions because there's some really important questions that are being asked and I think there's still a lot left to learn. So I, every time I come to work, I'm just really excited to hear what some of the other atmospheric scientists are working on or when I read papers that come out by people that I know, uh, uh, I think it's really fun to read. When I go to conferences, it's always great to learn um, kind of what people are working on. So that's, that's not lost on me at all every day. The NASA Ames facility up here in the Silicon Valley is very well respected in the space community. What other things are going on up here? Are you, do you have much interaction with the other fields that people are involved with? Occasionally. So the, the building that I work in here on base is uh, houses Earth and Space Science Research Laboratories. So just, you know, by default being in close proximity to some of these other scientists, occasionally some of the questions they're trying to answer about the atmosphere on Jupiter or on a moon of Saturn or on Mars kind of overlap a little bit with what we know about the atmosphere uh, here on Earth. And you can't really understand out there until you've understood the Earth first, right? So sometimes there are some projects that can overlap. We talked to some folks, you know, there person across the hallway from me is trying to understand how do we collect air or ice you know on these icy on the icy moons of Saturn and how can we analyze those gases and and see what's happening there so yeah there's a little bit of overlap it's pretty neat to be able to to see that Uh, I bet how about in terms of the other atmospheres on on the other planets is there any that you're particularly intrigued about well, I think they're all fascinating. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I will also certainly admit that I am very much unaware <laughs> of some of these things. I, I love to hear all about it, but it's definitely not something that I'm, I'm very well versed on right now. 
Josette, I know the associate director of Ames up here is Steven Zornetzer, who is also an anteater. I, have you met him? He's one of the top dogs here. Just asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I haven't actually had that that pleasure yet, but it's always great to hear that there's more anteaters around. Yeah. <laughs> How about you in your spare time? What do you do besides work? Well, I got to say, living in California all these years has made, made me certainly uh, have an appreciation for the outdoors more than I think I ever had before. So I love to get out and go hiking and, and get out to the ocean and, and see what's happening all around. Nice thing about Ames being right in the heart of Silicon Valley and in the Bay Area is that there's tons of stuff to do around here. There's lots of art and good food and really interesting culture. So I just like to get out away from base when I can and, and explore what the area has to offer. In terms of your time here as a contractor, are you on a you know, limited time basis or is it open-ended? How, do the, how does that work? So I started off here at Ames as a postdoctoral research fellow. So the fellowship that I had was for a set amount of time. It was for a two-year agreement. But luckily, there was funds around to keep me on working on the same project. So I switched over as a contractor with the Bay Area Environmental Research Institute, which employs actually lots of people that work in the earth and space sciences in my building. And I've been able to continue on my work. And it's uh, there's no end date in mind where we're set right now, thankfully. So. Uh, hopefully, I can keep this work going for, for quite a bit. Excuse me just for a moment, Josette. If you're joining us late, I'm visiting with Josette Marrero. She is an anteater that graduated a couple of years ago with a PhD in chemistry, and she's now involved with atmospheric testing and research at the NASA Ames Space Research Facility. So, Josette, if people want to follow along with the kind of work that you're doing and also with Ames, how could they do that? Sure thing. So the Ajax project itself, we try to be as active as we can on social media. So every so often or whenever we're flying, we try to make sure we update our Twitter. Our handle is at NASA Ajax. We're on Instagram as well, which I believe is at NASA underscore Ajax, as well as for each flight, what we're actually able to do, NASA provides this great service. It's called the Airborne Science Tracker, and you can actually go on to nasa.gov or airborne, I think it might be airbornescience.nasa.gov, and you can find our aircraft on there. And whenever we have a flight, we make sure that we put a tracker on there. And so if anybody's interested, it's open to the general public. You don't have to have a NASA account. You can actually follow along and see where the aircraft is going on that day and figure out you know what altitude we're at follow along with us so it's actually a really neat tool that I like to share with the public or any other partners that we have that want to see what we're actually doing when we're up in the air you know backtracking a little bit how did you initially get interested in this field so like I said, my, my background was actually, I mean, I've always been interested in chemistry. I think since I was about nine years old, I knew I wanted to be a scientist. <laughs> and the kind that wore a lab coat, I thought was actually really cool. So I had a really big interest in chemistry. And so it was an easy pick for me as an undergraduate uh, focus, a major. But primarily my research in undergrad was more focused on, on forensic chemistry, you know, kind of the people who run the samples on CSI, you know, not the ones that go out into the field, the people who are in the labs running the samples. So that's kind of where I thought I was going to wind up going for graduate school. But like I said, you know, randomly hearing about UC Irvine and the, what they had to offer, I was able to visit and I learned a little bit more about their atmospheric chemistry work that they were doing and the professors that they had there that were doing some really interesting work. And I didn't know that much about the environmental impacts, but I know that it's something that's very important, understanding climate. And so I was really just inspired and I was like, I'm going to go for it and learn something new and, and haven't looked back since. And that was eight years ago. So. Where are we in terms of global warming, global cooling, climate change? Can you give us a little bit of a 
of your perspective on that? Well, yeah, uh, I can try. <laughs> I would hardly say that I'm a climate expert, but I know that the what we're doing on Earth and the systems that we have in place are certainly contributing to a changing climate. That's that is what I think personally, just my my knowledge in the field. So. I think it's important that it's something that we keep researching and figuring out how it's affecting not only the air we breathe, but weather patterns and, and other things. Here, being here at Ames, we're pretty close to the bay. We're right, pretty much right on the water. So seeing uh, you know changes to sea level rise is a very real thing. It's a, it's a, it has a very tangible impact, one that you can see out here. So I'll just say, and I don't want to get too much in trouble, I don't want to put NASA's name on that, but I'll say from my perspective that I think that it's, a, it's an important issue and one that we really need to, to keep looking into in the future. Do you ever get to come back to UCI? Yeah, so since since I've been up here, you know, they keep me busy up here, so I don't always get to, to get out. But I have been out to UCI at least once since I started here. Back in April, the American Chemical Society dedicated Roland Hall as a national landmark, landmark because of the work that was done by Cherry Roland and Mario Molina on their work in understanding that whole the ozone layer problem. So I was able to come back and see the new grad students, meet some of those people who are taking over my group, you know, the, the future of the, the Blake group but also the new faculty that they've hired. There's been a lot of great additions to the chemistry department and in atmospheric chemistry in general, uh, or I should say specifically, that was really nice to be part of. And that dedication was also accompanied by seminar, two-day seminar, with really interesting talks, kind of understanding the atmosphere and the state of the science and what that means for policy and, and how do we move forward as not only a country, but globally. Speaking of Sherry Rowland, legendary figure at UCI, you had some interactions with him. Can you just give us your sense of the man? Yeah, Sherry Rowland was a really fun person to be around. So my first year at UC Irvine, even though he had been retired for, I don't know, about 10 years, maybe even more than that, he would still come to work every day and loved to be caught up on you know the state of the science and contribute to anywhere he could with his expertise on the projects that we were working on as grad students. And so I got to talk to him a lot and have him as a mentor, as a figure to actually to see. And that was great. You know, he was a, it was a little intimidating coming in, basically knowing nothing about chemistry and certainly nothing about atmospheric chemistry, despite maybe many undergrads may think they know a lot, but really you know nothing. <laughs> and so when you meet somebody like that, it's a little bit intimidating. Not only that, he was a very tall man. He's about six foot four, so he's a very imposing person. And he has a very stern face about him, but once you got past that, he was just a really, a genuinely great person and fun to be around and just loved talking to people and, and understanding, you know, not only the science that they're interested in, but where they came from and, and sharing life stories. And, and that was pretty great. I'm really glad I had that opportunity. Fantastic, Josette. Hey, it's been great to visit with you today. It's great to see anteaters above and beyond and moving out into the world and making a difference. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks. Thanks for the time, Kevin. I really appreciate talking to you.